Hey guys, how y'all doing? Hope you're well. Uh, we have Leanne and Matthew Deering on the show with us this week. Uh, boy, still saying we, uh, 25 episodes in, even though it's always just been me. Um, they are the owners of the Deering Acting Studio in town. I thought it'd be really cool to get a teacher's perspective on kind of exploring your creative side here in the valley. So they have a lot of cool insight on kind of how they obviously came up, but then how they decided to utilize the skills they had learned to pass on to other people, focusing specifically on this market. So it's, it's definitely something interesting for what I like to look at here. Um, I first heard about Leanne from Doug Brecken, one of my previous guests, uh, who spoke really highly of her when they worked together on his film. Um, so I finally got a chance to meet her, and uh, her and her husband invited me into their lovely home uh, to uh, meet them and their lovely kids as well, uh, who are also focusing on their own acting careers. Um, they talked a little bit about their family dynamic and kind of what they do to uh, pass along what they've learned here. So really, really cool stuff. Um, if, you're, if you're not into acting, you know, if you're just somebody who's trying to balance family life or trying to maybe consider teaching as a career in the arts, I definitely think this is worth a listen. So check out Leanne and Matthew Deering. Starving Artist Phoenix. I'm Tony Machetti. I've got Leanne and Matt Deering with me today. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. Thank you for having us. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. We're excited to be here. Good. Glad you guys could make some time for it. I know you guys are busy individuals. got a lot on your horizon. Um, but I, I do say that I, I'm glad that I uh, got a chance to meet you, Leanne, because um, I, I hadn't really known what was going on really north of Phoenix. I'm in the Gilbert area, and I've only really been in Phoenix for a couple of years now. So when Doug Brecken, our uh, previous guest and a mutual friend of ours was talking about what you guys do up here. I was really, really curious as to kind of how you got into it. So walk me through a little bit about your guys' history and how you ended up uh, opening a studio. The history of the company is, that's a story I really don't get tired of telling, honestly. <laughs> um, I was 23 when I auditioned for my husband for a play that he was doing in a black box theater out in Glendale. And um, I kind of fell in love with him right away. Uh, didn't tell him that, played it cool, but kind of fell in love that day. And uh, after that play was done and we started dating, we sort of knew, we had this dream in our hearts. I was a total theater nerd. I had studied in college. Um, I was looking to work with some of the equity houses here in Phoenix. He was not only the most talented actor, but the most gifted director I had worked with up until then. And I'd worked with some, with some pretty heavy hitters on the East Coast um, with uh, my Shakespeare classes. And so we began the studio together right before we got married. So I was 24, he was 26. You wanna, you wanna tell him where we taught for the first almost year? Yeah, so when our company was born, there was four of us. It was Leanne and myself, my cousin Brian, and my sister Kimberly. And the company was born in my parents' living room. <laughs> and our first classes for the first almost year were in my dad's doctor's office lobby. So uh, just imagine uh, pretty much a, a space smaller than our current lobby that we have at our studio now. And we were there for a full year, putting up shows, having 
yeah. full classes, uh, camps, you know, all sorts of things. <laughs> like we were just innovative and creative, which, which I believe you have to be in this market. Right. I feel like that kind of speaks to the fact that you came from like a black box environment, that it's like it doesn't even need four walls and roof, really just a property you're not going to get kicked off of. You'll make it work. Yeah. And people who are willing to sardine in to right. enjoy something, <laughs> exactly. you know, new and organic that's happening in real time. Um, and so the students who were with us during that time, a lot of them have stayed with us up until now. We have a handful of students who knew us in the doctor's office lobby. Uh, and they are, I mean... That's, that's 10 years now. 10 years in the making that we've been, we've been going strong. And there was, <laughs> failure has never been an option. So. So, so when you know you're just starting off a project like that and you really have to kind of hit the ground running and really make a name for yourselves, how do you separate yourselves from the other like, acting courses and things that might be around? You know, I don't know. I don't know. Um, we, we just stick to our core values. So we believe in love. Love comes first. When, when somebody walks into our studio, we want to make sure that we're loving them first. Mm-hmm. Uh, we treat them like family. We treat them like, like one of our own. And, uh, and we, have a, we have a deep-rooted desire to help people get better. Mm-hmm. Like That's really what we want to do. And so I think word spread pretty quickly when, when people started taking classes and they were just being reformed. And we, we've had some really successful students who have come through our studio for years and then gone on and done some pretty big things so uh, it's exciting and I'll add to that too if you if you have a dream and you don't know how to start and you know we had two nickels to rub together (laughs) we uh we just we just knew what we wanted we tried not to focus on how we just focused on the what and we knew that at every turn we were willing to stay adaptable Uh, and that's true of any business you have to keep adapting so we kept asking the question, how can we make it better? How can we improve the student experience? How can we ha- create a better theater with the budget we do have? Um, and at every step of our business, we've kept, we've kept probing the animal and asking those same questions. And if you do those things, you can't help but grow at the end of the day. So it wasn't so much the, the planning ahead of time and going in with like a specific mission statement as to just knowing that you wanted to do this and just doing it. Yes. And one of my, uh, in, in 2009, I was on contract with GoDaddy. Um, I was one of their GoDaddy girls. It was one of the most fun jobs um, that I've ever been a part of. It was really great. And I worked with Bob Parsons really closely for a couple of years. And one of his, he has like his Bob Parsons sayings, his business sayings that are sort of ingrained in my mind now. And one of them is a good plan, a perfect plan executed tomorrow is not as effective as a, as a good plan executed today or an imperfect plan executed today. Um, and so we've, we've taken that with our business as well. And we've said, okay, how can we make it better right now while still looking at the long-term vision and moving in that direction? I like that. And I do kind of want to jump around a little bit in time then since you brought that up. So um, I, yeah, I did see that you've done pretty extensive work with GoDaddy and stuff. And mm-hmm. like you've, you've both done a lot of stuff in the commercial field. So what, what are your individual backgrounds in, in acting in the arts? Well, it's pretty funny. When we got married, um, or right before we got married, like Leanne said, she was a theater nerd, and I, I had sort of come from, from this. That's a hurtful term, by the way, <laughs> listeners. We're going to cut that one. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I was from Arizona, so I was, I was used to the commercial market. And my wife, and it's, it's hilarious <laughs> to talk about this now, she, she literally looked me in the eye and she said, she said, Matt, I can't do commercials, I'm not pretty enough. <laughs> and I said, babe, you're crazy, first of all, because anybody can do this. I teach it, and second of all, your you know she believes in my talent. I think she's exponentially more talented than I am. So, um, 
I don't know where I was going with that. What was That's the original okay. question? I just talking about commercial backgrounds, background. individual backgrounds. So yeah. I, I thought yeah. that Matt was a hot shot because I looked at his commercial resume and I was like, oh, he did a commercial for Albertsons. <laughs> yeah. He did a Subway commercial. Like this guy's the real Dizzle. I was all I was all starstruck by. It. And you know what? It was just it's it's one of those classic limiting self beliefs that we all we all have them. We all carry those sort of limitations on ourselves. Some of them you're aware of. Some of them you're not. And the wonderful thing about acting is you have to confront those lies you have to identify where they're coming from and then uh, improv in particular has been so good for my anxiety and my self-confidence and my willing to get up and get up in front of a room and say I I can make a mess it's okay and we're gonna make something great as we're taking this leap of faith from the top of the building we can't see the ground we're gonna find it together Um, so that was that was a classic example of me being you know ridiculous and neurotic at the very top of what would be some really (laughs) exciting work that luckily my husband pushed me into. Well, you know, it's an interesting thing that you bring that up because that that's kind of a, a contrast that we get taught a lot in, in acting is to, one, never be afraid to, to go for it, to you know, follow and, and push into whatever field you want to go into, but also know your type, know what you're going to go and like be, mm. get into the comfortable things. So mm. how, do you, how do you marry those two in your head? Well, as an actor, mm-hmm. the thing is, um, there, you, you do need to figure out your mm-hmm. type, but... Anybody can do it, like literally anybody. So, there, so that that's why Steve Buscemi can do what he does because he's not he's not someone like on the street you would say stereotypically is like a gorgeous man, but he's talented and he's worked on his talent. And so, you know, he doesn't necessarily have what Brad Pitt has, but Brad Pitt has a sensational work ethic as well. So he is who he is because of his work ethic. And then you take, uh, you know, any of the like. I don't know, I, I, I'm not going to name anybody, right. like, like a random, say, soap opera actor or somebody who kind of came up based on their looks, yeah. they, come, they, they come and they flare up and they go away. So in our world, we, we believe that if you, if you get in and you commit and you really study and want it, there's a place for you. If you look at any movie, any commercial, there, there's going to be the, the hot girl walking in the room, that's Leanne, and then there's going to be the guy she's serving the beer to sitting at the table... <laughs> And that is an actual commercial, I right? Yeah, that's it is. Yeah. It is an actual commercial for the guilty kill. But there's, but there's the group of guys who aren't supposed to be that look, mm-hmm. getting served the beer, and so, and both get paid to be in that sure. commercial. And so, so yes, knowing your type, but it's, it's more about having confidence in yourself, having right. confidence in me, and knowing that I can do this, and there's a place for me, and just believing that. And your, your primary and secondary casting types are significant for auditions. They're significant for you know, heavily commercial markets like ours. But one of the most joyful things about being an actor right now, and this has never been the case before, is we're all becoming writers. We're all figuring out if there's a part you want to play, just write the scripts. Content, you can, you can publish content on so many different platforms now. It's so easy to write. If you imagine yourself in a role, write that role. Write it out for yourself and do it now. We, we had a student. We went to see one of our students in a play, um, Cheyenne DiBallo. I'll, I'll shout her out because we're talking. <laughs> she killed. She was in Steel Magnolias and she just killed. Oh, wow. um, and one of our other students joined us. And he had just put a short script in my husband's hand. He blew him away. It, the writing was so good and it was so interesting and, and my husband almost never says this. He said, Bradley, I have very little critique for you. And Bradley's jaw hit the floor. Um, but the point is, he had a character in mind. He wrote, he wrote it. He's not waiting for somebody to cast him. Yeah. And that's one of the best things you can do early on is start writing for yourself. 
So it's not so much knowing your limitations, but knowing your strengths. Yeah. Yeah. And, and being willing to being willing to fight the fear mm-hmm. and and surge through when it when it feels impossible. And like Leanne said, you don't focus on the how; you just focus on the what. Mm-hmm. So when did you guys decide to fight the fear and, and take that first dive? 2007, January 2007 was when our company was born. <laughs> what about before that even, just, uh, just as an up-and-coming actor, just as finding those first commercial jobs? Well, for me, it was, it was theater. Yeah, yeah, it was theater before it was commercial. Those first few commercial and mm-hmm. film auditions, um, we used to have a film incentive in Arizona, and we're going to get it back. You heard okay. it here first, guys on Starving <laughs> Artists. It's coming. Um, I had some spectacular failures, just spectacular. I was just so nervous. Um, but I love those stories now. I really cherish them, and I love to tell them when I'm teaching classes because the students, A, are delighted by them. Some of them are really <laughs> funny. And you know what's funny? The other day I was in an audition that I ended up booking, and I had a major, major flop the, on the first pass. I did not understand the direction at all, um, and I ended up doing something really goofy, and they made the adjustment. And if you can stay calm and have the presence of mind, you can, you can still recover, even if, you, even if you screw it up a little bit. Yeah. That's excellent. Then. Yeah. Okay, so uh, was it uh, was it something that you guys always were thinking about doing was acting, or did did something flip the switch for you at some point that you decided you wanted to get into acting? Or? That's Matt's question. Yeah. So when I when I was going to college, I was in pre med, and then I had a um, uh, a TA mm-hmm. in one of my biology classes who assigned an extra credit assignment, and it was I ended three up, years into pre med. Yeah, <laughs> well, pretty far in, and and doing fine, doing well. I had even had an interview at one of the medical schools and whatnot. Anyway, so I, I end up making a movie for this extra credit assignment. It's worth five points out of like a thousand. Like it's really <laughs> nothing. And I'm staying up all night for 48 hours perfecting my character and then editing this little film on a VHS cassette recorder. And I had this epiphany that hit me. I said, I'm, I'm not doing the thing I really want to be doing. I don't, and I, I didn't even know I wanted to do it. I just sort of found it. And once I found it, I said, that's it. And I dropped all my classes about two weeks later. I got a photography and filmmaking degree from ASU. And then through making films, I realized I wanted to be in front of the camera. Wow. That's, that's quite like the <laughs> really flipping the switch moment. of <laughs> yeah. And I can't imagine how many med students that school loses from this project <laughs> yeah. when it comes down to it. Um, okay, got it. So, so you, you really came in with, with a film understanding. Like you, you wanted to be creating movies and creating... Yeah, but then, but then when it came to acting, you know, I didn't know anything. So my first line of defense was, okay, I don't want to get scammed. And that's one of the big things that we're always fighting against mm-hmm, as a school sure. is trying to help people avoid getting screwed over because mm-hmm. there's a lot of that. Um, but so I, so I hit the library. That was, I'm like, okay, I'm going to read everything I can. I, I committed my mind to saying if I was going to go to med school, that would take me 10 years and I'd be $250,000 in debt. So why don't I just do apply the same work ethic to acting and see what happens? So I started reading and committing. I, I found, found a couple of local schools that were really good to me. And then before you know it, I, I had this real niche for teaching and, and, and I flipped the switch on that. And uh, one of my young kids just took off like early on. Mm-hmm. And so before you know it, it just everyone in town was saying, if you have a child actor, you have to send it to that guy. So I started getting known as like a kid's teacher, but uh, we've, we've graduated into being mm-hmm. a full-fledged studio. Interesting. Okay. And so have, have you guys ever experienced any kind of like clash or any kind of like culture shock of, of coming from like film and theater, any kind of like contrast of mindsets or anything there? 
No, I, I think I said or the big obstacle was really just believing that I was capable of mm-hmm. doing both. I think I just felt so comfortable playing really big choices and playing really broadly. And, you know, when you're a young actress, too, I mean, you, you make really giant broad choices on stage or at least I did I shouldn't speak for all young we're, we're so anxious to show what we're capable of and a lot of it ends up being just not even less right for the <laughs> script so I think there was some degree of where I, where I felt like if I wasn't doing something um, large and theatrical that I wasn't interesting I wasn't interesting enough and that's something that every actor has to grapple with that you standing still and thinking a thought the way you are right now looking at me mm-hmm. would be interesting if I were recording you someone watching you on a Netflix series would not be bored. They'd be wondering what's in his head. Oh, I can, I'm figuring him out. And they love that. The audience trusts you when you trust them enough to be subtle and say, I'm going to give you a piece of the, I'm I'm telling you what you need to know. I'm giving you everything you need to know. And they, they like to be a part of solving the equation. That's, that's joyful for them. And that's some of what improv has given me also is don't worry about having all the answers up front. Trust your audience to ride the ride with you. Your audience is smart. Your audience bought the ticket because they want to do this with you. So just give them the chance to participate. Interesting. Now, uh, we read up improv a couple times now. So, I mean, how do you guys feel like you use improv generally, like, as a tool in your teaching and in your own acting? Well, we've had an improv troupe at our school for eight years. Chaos comedy. Chaos comedy, yeah. And that's evolved and changed and evolved and changed, much like we have and our teaching has and our studio has. And so we're going through another evolution of that right now. But improv really comes up in all of life. It comes up in every teaching moment. And um, to put it this simply, the way the new program is mapped out, uh, we were noticing that the students who were seeing the most growth the fastest were the ones that could afford to come to all the classes and could afford the time. And so we're like... Specifically, the the improv and Meisner work, we were seeing that those Mm. two classes were so, so integral in marriage with the scripted work. And and, Yeah, and then the scene study, scripted film TV stuff. And so the the concept is simple. It's like if you're doing a script properly, it should sound like improv. Mm -hmm. And if you're doing really good improv, it should sound like a scripted play. And, and that's the biggest compliment we've ever gotten when we get off the stage and it started to happen consistently where audience would say, okay, but what yeah. part of that? Like you guys knew you that. You wrote that part yeah. though, but you right? you knew that this character was going to say this and it's like, no, like that, that came from reading plays. That came yeah. from us being on the same page and understanding literature and how, how writers speak. That's where that improv came from. And then on the, on the reverse from the script... It has to be spontaneous. It has to feel as if you're coming up with it right off the top of your head. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so what do you feel like you you do to kind of build on that? Then, so I know you already mentioned that you you saw that development that um, those two skills, just working with the scripted work, working with Meisner specifically, which I want to talk to you about a little bit too. Um, but and and combining that with the improv courses really showed strong performers. So, how do you feel like you want to capitalize on that, like with with future classes, the future lessons? Yeah. So what we did was we took we took the Meisner concepts, the best of the best of the Meisner mm-hmm. concepts, because here's the other thing. It's a two-year program in New York, and it's a two-year program assuming you can come three days a week for three hours, and then you have three hours to rehearse. And most Arizona just actors and, and this world just doesn't have that kind of time, especially when right. we're first starting out. Mm-hmm. We've got second, third jobs, etc. So we took the best of the best of Meisner, and we've implemented that into our other classes. So we teach improvisation from a listening place first, from a truthful listening place. And then we teach script from the same place, from a, from a Meisner listening perspective. 
and then and then those are our only two options now. So if you can take both, you're getting you're getting the full picture, and j- just by taking the two classes, you can you can really get a, a very well-rounded acting education. Mm-hmm. So what do you guys consider the really the bullet points of of working with Sanford Meisner? Well, his his theory was was in a nutshell is that the words are not as important as what's under the words, the subtext of the words, which is so true. Mm-hmm. There are some there are some limits to Meisner's work, and and his work is really great. So you know, I've, I've worked with some other really great teachers, and and like Larry Moss will talk about Sanford Meisner and just <laughs> rip him to shreds. <laughs> That's and, our acting coach. Yeah. He's in L.A. He's yeah phenomenal he's the best in the world but but i know that there's a lot to take from from sandy meisner the same way there's a lot to take from uda hagen and, and all the greats and so the 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 only issue with sandy meisner is is some people oversimplify it to the point where they think that the words don't matter at all and so there's words are getting mumbled over words mm-hmm. are getting dropped we become careless or we'll say to the filmmaker can i put it in my own words or like to the person who's spent a great amount of time and yeah. love and care crafting a script and yeah. And we want to play loose and fast with the words. If you are blessed enough to be working on a great play or a great piece of writing, you you have to respect the language. Uh, you have to elevate certain types of language, like Shakespeare. Oh my gosh! Don't you dare mumble! Don't you dare drop words! You know, it's just not it's not acceptable. It's not appropriate. Uh, but what I do love about Meisner so much is that you sort of have to. The way that I the way that I explained it to my students in the past is you have to re earn the right to speak. And for someone like me, that is infuriating, and it requires so much restraint and so much uh, quiet, focused listening. I felt like I was crawling out of my skin for the first few rounds of Meisner. And as I went further into the technique with Matt, because I, I was new to it until I met my husband, it has been so radically transforming. So kind of going back to what you're talking about, using those kind of improv skills, making it feel natural that you, you can't just say the line because it's your line. You have to say the line because that's what you would say. Sort of thing, yeah. Yes, or because you made me feel a certain way. So now I have to respond this way. And the same line, I can use the same three or four words to rip your head off or to flirt with you. I can, I can do a lot of things with them. The words become weapons and they become tools. And you also learn how to ask good questions about what do I really want from this person that I'm talking to? What do I, what looks like a win for my character? So then you're fighting for something, you're advocating for something, and that makes it a lot easier to take the focus off of yourself. Absolutely. Okay, excellent. And now you, you talked a little bit before about how you seem to really click with some of your first like uh, youth students. Mm-hmm. So what is the difference, I guess, with teaching um, adults as you've started to kind of gradually add on more uh, or teaching kids? There is no difference. It's truth. <laughs> At the end of the day, truth is truth. So it's the way you package it and the way mm-hmm. you word it. So if I could, if I could get the, uh, there, there's advantages and disadvantages to being a kid and to being an adult. So if I could, if I could get the adults to have the same play and the same imagination and the same freedom that some of the kids have, I mean, it'd be great. And then sometimes you see little kids and you're like, oh. I know him in my adult class. <laughs> you know, I know what you look like 40 years later if I don't help you. <laughs> if, I, if I don't stop you. I've seen your worst case scenario. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You must be stopped. So, uh, yeah, it's just about how you package the same information because we, we believe in talking intelligently to children and we believe in talking intelligently yes. to teens and to challenging them and pushing them. And, and we've got some teens who have come through the program who are... 14, 15 that will graduate into our adult program because they're ready and they're mature yeah. and, and, and they can handle it. And so, 
um, really there's not a huge difference. I think I think for me it was a it was probably a confidence thing. I was I was 21 or 22 when I started teaching. Yeah, you and were so, a baby. Yeah, and and at first it was just an interesting thing. I had this ear for acting, just like like, like listening to the piano. You hear a note that's off, and I just can instinctually hear it and know how to fix it. So being even young to the industry, it was strange because I would have students who were like 10 years in and 15 years older than me and they're in my classes and yet I'm still able to change them and and make things better. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I really experienced those classes on an ongoing basis that I started to gain my own confidence and get over the fact that I was young at the time. Uh, now I've got a few grays, so everyone's happy to (laughs) come in. They're super cute, by the way. You can't see them. Happy to, come in. Happy to come in. Happy to come in. Add that grabby toss. <laughs> <Yeah>. Totally <laughs> stern professor. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. So, I mean, is that something that you feel like is just a natural thing that somebody has to have, like being able to um, adapt to, to kids and adults like that, or do you think like that's something that somebody who wanted to learn to teach different oh. age groups might be able to take on? No, I think yeah. it's it's like anything. You mm. specialize however you like. Yeah. Of course, you cannot teach a room full of five and six-year-olds the same way that you teach a room full of 18 and over. Um, you need a certain energy to work with kids. And honestly, it helps mm. if you like working with kids. Some <laughs> people enjoy to. it. Yeah, you yeah. have to love kids. Absolutely. Um, but, but the lessons at their core mm. are what we're teaching, for example, in our five-year-old uh, improv room is don't say fart. Don't say that. We know it's a very funny word and we get it and the audience will laugh one time, but you know what will happen the second time you say it? They will not laugh again. Law of diminishing returns, five-year-olds. And they have to get up on the stage and then they experience it in real time and they learn that they get a bigger response. Not that we're ever trying to be taught by the audience Mm -hmm. response, but they they learn that there's more fun on the other side of simply being logical and Mm -hmm. adding on. Um, I think I told you right before the podcast started, yeah. the other day we were in the car and we were talking about construction. We were passing a construction site um, near Shea and 32nd Street. And my son said, that's just like improv, except in improv, we build on ideas. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to pull this car over <laughs> and I'm going to hug you right no, now. I'm going to take a note. Take a note and I'm going to teach <laughs> yeah. that later. Yeah. It's so, it's, yeah. But it's so true. And he's learning, oh, okay, I'm not responsible for the whole scene. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. And that's another great thing about improv for kids and yeah. for adults. The stakes are low. If you get up on the audience, if you get up on stage and the audience doesn't think you're funny that night, what happens? Nobody dies. Yeah. Like no one gets hurt. Well, you have you, to experience it first, though. Yes. And that's that getting over the fear thing. So once you've stepped foot in the classroom, I think that's what happens: is all those fears and those barriers start to break down, and you realize mm-hmm. what what am I capable of doing? Right. And that's why it's it's nice with, when kids don't have all these walls up. Like there's a couple actors I'm going to mention later, but but people who are. Um, <laughs> People who are older who would just have years and sometimes centuries worth of walls built up, yeah. our job is to break them down slowly. And, and you were asking about you know, what it takes. I do believe that it takes a certain personality to teach because you have to want sincerely for somebody else to do good. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I joke that I'm the, I'm the kid who growing up was dreaming that I want to be the I want to be the guy that can make the other guy rich and famous. <laughs> That's what I want to do when I grow up. Just want to be thanked in an Oscar speech. That's I want to be the stepping stool, Lord. Please, <laughs> please, please use me to move to LA. <laughs> yeah, uh, but 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 really, like I've coached people to go up against me or to go up against my wife, and I've coached them with my whole heart, like I said, from love and help them get roles and then I get just as much joy out of them landing it mm-hmm. as I would have if I landed it myself yeah. and that's 
that's what it takes to be a great teacher. That's why I, everyone shouldn't step into the arena unless they have that heart. Yeah. And if they have that heart, they can learn how to teach. I actually have a teacher program that I work at the studio where I help other people um, just teach actors how to act. But that's the thing. If you're, if you're missing that ingredient, it do doesn't matter really your knowledge because you can learn the knowledge, but you can't really gain that, that want and that desire to make other people better. Sure, and it's a tricky thing, I, I think, in our line of work, just because, uh, I mean, I, I don't think it's negative to say that. I mean, there is a certain amount of ego that has to come into play if you mm -hmm. if you are interested in acting, if you're interested in performing in any way. So being able to overcome that and really give yourself to somebody else is a, is a tough step to take. But yeah, it's an important one, definitely. Um, so, okay, so again, going so back to... Oh, you're an actor, too? A little bit. I went to uh, college for it. But I again, I, I feel like... This is one of my previous guests said it in a nice way that um, why why do why do like the actors in in Phoenix need another like average looking white guy like there's there's nothing that like I really need to contribute to that side of things so I really like this idea more okay because you're not average looking first of all and second no, you of all got a cool look, man. yeah I'm expecting to see you in classes next month that's oh, I'm, I'm about it <laughs> um, but but really yeah going back to improv again because I think that's that's such a battle too and I I think that there there really needs to be more marriage between people who consider themselves straight actors and people who consider themselves improvisers mm -hmm. because a lot of people look at improv for its, its use in comedy and stuff but it really mm -hmm. can play into dramatic situations too I'm sure that's something that yeah. yeah, I can't tell you how many times I have been on set and mm -hmm. I have just mentioned offhandedly to someone in production or to the mm -hmm. director, yeah, we've got an improv troupe, we're doing a show tonight, and their eyes just light up. Mm -hmm. And they say, can we call you if we ever have another project? Because <laughs> the, the creativity that an improviser and kind of the fearless play, we're really, we're great at making fun of ourselves. We're not afraid to go there and look ridiculous. Uh, improv is often very unflattering. <laughs> it's part of what makes it great. Um, they, they get really excited to work with someone who's not afraid to contribute to the creative process, whether that means bringing life to the lines in a new way, releasing some music that they haven't heard before, or collaborating on the script. That happens too. That's very common in the audition room to have a director say, if you think of something funny, go ahead and tack it on there. Or if you don't like the way that sounds, you know, try it a different way and let's see what we come up with. And I think I, I want to ask you guys a little bit about your take on the audition process and stuff too, since you've both been on both sides of it mm. a little bit. Um, I, I feel like that's a good sign in an audition when somebody is willing to kind of let you play a little bit and you know let you work with them, especially if they're giving you you know feedback and stuff as well. You know mm. they're they're working with you on it. And how, how do you guys feel about the audition process? Basically, what's your take on it? Talk a little bit about that. I always mm -hmm. well, you specifically were speaking about the role of kind of having a voice in the mm -hmm. creative process. I always really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. um, it's, the, it's the same, probably the same feeling that the audience gets when we are brave enough to let them figure things out with us. I, I like that. It makes me feel valued, and they want to see what my specific choice would be on this project. And then if you don't get it, then you're not offended because it just means it, it wasn't, you weren't the right choice for the project, but that doesn't mean the work wasn't good or that it wasn't exciting. Um, so for me, that's really fun. I happen to love, I, I enjoy cold reads a lot as well. Um, I like... There's just a natural spontaneity contained in a cold read, um, and there's a gift in it too, once you can be relaxed enough to enjoy it, which took some work, but now I'm there, and I really like cold reads. Um, what about you, babe? What's your favorite way to audition? Yeah, I love cold reads too. Going back to improv, and I'll connect this, mm -hmm. the way we teach improv is from a, from a listening perspective first. So I always say that the best improviser in the room, the best actor in the room, is the best listener in the room. Mm -hmm. And so, 
your question was was specifically like does that mean it's going well if they're having you you know yes that does mean that's going well but that means you're listening that means you're 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 picking up on certain things and they're like oh I want to play with something I want to see if I give them this like what they're gonna hear and how they're gonna interpret that and bring something new and the the challenge is to not get in your head when you get a direction and think oh they didn't like what I already did and start second-guessing yourself but saying Oh, they want me to play with something new. Let me interpret that through my instrument and then bring something new to the table. Mm-hmm. And and auditions are really all about relaxation, being you, and then finding some way to be spontaneous and mm-hmm. some way, which goes back to improv, some way to be spontaneous and some way to be unique mm-hmm. and to do what I call change the air. So you want to, like, like one audition I had, uh, for another fellow filmmaker in town, Kevin Phipps. You know Kevin? I'm not, okay. I'm not familiar, but... Okay, well, you can interview Shout him. Shout out, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to want to list them. Yeah. yeah, Kevin Phipps. He's a, he's, a, he's a great guy, good director. He has actually a Meisner program in town that's, that's, that does really well, and so we're, we're really happy yeah, for great. him, and we're, we're good friends. Mm-hmm. But he was auditioning for a movie, and I remember in the audition room, the, the script called for me and another mm-hmm. actor to sort of beat up the lead actor, and the lead mm-hmm. actor was already hired. So he was in the room, and the rest of us were all auditioning for these other two roles, like the bad guy roles. Mm-hmm. And right before we're about to start, I have this spontaneous impulse to grab, not the guy I'm supposed to beat up, but my scene partner. Mm-hmm. And I didn't tell him. And I grab him by the shirt, and I shove him against the wall. And he looks at me with these big eyes, like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> and I look him in the eyes, and I go, let's get him! And I pound my chest, and I hit him. And next thing you know... <laughs> yeah. He was, like, my scene partner was so in it. I was so in it that we couldn't think about our lines. We weren't worried Mm -hmm. about what was going to happen next. And it was just one of those, like, perfect magical auditions because it came Mm -hmm. from spontaneity. It came from some place that was fun and organic. So then you leave, and I'm sitting outside, and they wanted to, like, mix and match. And I hear through the wall, because it was thin walls, I just hear the director giving the same... Oh. direction to everybody else that I had just done. I'm wow. like, I got this thing in the back. <laughs> yeah. and, and me and the guy that I auditioned with, we both got that role. Nice. And so, you know, that's that's auditioning. And it's hard. I'm going to say, like, auditioning is hard. You're laying your, you're putting your sleeve out, you know, your, your whole heart is on the on the line and, and it's it's it, it can be really scary. But if you prepare and you know what to do, mm-hmm. you can you can alleviate all those fears. Mm-hmm. Then, so if you take anything else away from this podcast, grab your scene partners by the shirt, shove them against the wall before every audition. Assault, yeah. Assault, Assault. wins the day. Yeah. Assault, no. <laughs> well, Especially for Starburst commercials. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Gotcha, yeah. Uh, so, uh, so that is an interesting thing. I mean, to, it's something that we can kind of tell ourselves over and over and over again um, when we're trying to audition for something. Prepare, prepare, prepare. I'll just drill it into your head. Take that that risk element kind of out of it but how do you tell that to a younger actor how do you kind of get that into their heads repetition Mm -hmm. repetition repetition you just they're not going to get it when they're young they just won't Mm -hmm. and so you have to build that you have to build the psyche of i'm i'm going to work harder than the next guy Mm -hmm. and i'm really i'm going to work as hard as i'm capable of and it's it's like golf it's a sport against yourself Mm -hmm. and you know when you when you leave an audition and when you show up for an audition, whether you put in as much preparation as you know that you're capable of doing. And if you do that, you're gonna be in the top 10% every time. Right. And then after that, there are gonna be things that are out of your control. Right. A lot of things that are out of your control. But the things that are, are in your control, a lot of times, and I've been guilty of them many times, if I haven't prepared as well as I know I can prepare, 
I show up and I start the audition and then my cheeks get flush. Mm. And I'm, it's because I wasn't where I needed to be at a, at a thousand percent ready and prepared to give the best audition I possibly could. Yeah, if your performance energy is going toward what's the next line, even just a little bit, you're out of your moment. You're not ever going to be your best uh, performance self. And with kids, too, I heard you mention kids. Um, what we have been doing with our five-year-old, and kind of now with our three-year-old, our daughter as well, is we, have, we've, we always have called auditions commercials. The, the point being, the audition is the job. That, that is the work, and we, we put just as much weight um, on the audition as we do anything else, as, as we do on a booking. So when Jack is getting ready to go on an audition with us, we'll prepare and we say, we, we booked a commercial. As a family, we have landed a commercial and we need to go do it and we need to be excellent. So we treat the audition the same way we do any commercial. <laughs> little Jack has turned into a little booker. He like does, He yeah. does pretty good. <laughs> yeah. The kids, he has probably five or six commercials under his and belt Rosalind's now. And Rosalind's got a couple gigs too as yep. a three-year-old, not yep. bad. Rosalind's first job, she was six weeks old. She doesn't really get credit for she that. She doesn't. Right? <laughs> other than the fact that she was just super cute. Yeah. Like crazy cute. She was cast out for photos. She cute. was. But she's also done, since then, she's done mm-hmm. a, a Scottsdale Healthcare commercial with me. She did a discount patio ad with us uh, recently where she had a hysterical unicorn outfit on. <laughs> and she went with it. Like she, but she can hang on the set. <laughs> she does good. <laughs> But Jack is old enough now to really understand and be a part of the creative process, and, and he can even take an adjustment. If Matt gives him a note and he says, good, do that again, but don't shout or don't mm-hmm. push this word quite so much, he can, he can do that now. So I'm glad you brought that up because I'm curious. Like, is it, was it always something that you guys knew you were going to approach as a family, like while well, your kids were growing up? No? Was it like kind of Jack's decision thing? Or? Yeah, Jack enjoys it. And he knows, like when he was on set yeah. with you and I for Lighthouse Lane, yeah. there was a scene where Doug was interested in having the kids play on the floor. Mm-hmm. And I pulled Jack aside and I said, would you like to be in the movie or no? And he said, let me think about it. And after thinking about it, he decided he wasn't into it that day. Totally fine. You get to color in the other room. You're five. Like, (laughs) do you, buddy? You know? Uh, And Rosalind ended up being in the scene with us. Mm -hmm. So it's, and she's still small enough that she's kind of along for the ride. She kind of just wants to be where I am. She's barely three. So, um, so the, but as they get older, of course, they have a voice. Now, is it, they're at ages still where it's just fun to be on set with mom and dad. The only thing we will ask them to do as they get older, um, you don't ever have to, we don't ever need you to have an agent, you don't have to do a single thing, but we will ask them to be an improv always because we think it's so good for their public speaking and for finding their voice and just owning their power in, a, in any situation. So that's the one thing that they will have to do. Anything else is their choice. <laughs> I, I, love, I love it if more parents looked at it that way, even with outside of like the artistic side of it. And I think that more actors should be required to do like an open mic stand-up show just because you get off of that and you just say, well, Nothing could be worse than that. <laughs> there could be no audition that can ever make me feel like that. Totally. I'm fine now. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> um, so, That's great. as like a uh, like approaching this as a family, does it uh, is it something that you have to really consciously be thinking about when you're looking at like individual artistic gigs, things like that? Are you always looking to try and stay together as a family on jobs now, or how do you how do you approach it? No, I mean we're in Arizona. We take we take gigs as they come. So, <laughs> so we're we're fortunate that we've gotten to work a lot as a family. But if the kids get booked, of course we let them have the the work. And totally. if Leanne gets booked or I get booked, we make arrangements. And it's gotten to a point where you know our studio's grown and our family's grown. And so in order to in order to book us now, we have certain minimum requirements sure. that just so because it costs a sitter now and it didn't used to cost that before. <laughs> you know, there's different things that we have to account for. But. Um, 
No, I mean we we love we love this town. We've been called to this town. There's there's mm-hmm. a there's a reason we're here, and and honestly, we still don't know. We don't know why we're here, but we we know we're supposed to be here, and so we're gonna keep fighting the fight and bringing the best quality acting studio to Arizona. Uh, for as long as we're called to be here. That's right. And I'm glad you, you brought that up because I, I am curious, you know, especially in a market like this that is a little bit smaller, you probably have a lot of people who do kind of normal day-to-day jobs, day-to-day lives yeah. that um, that are interested in trying to do it, but they might not uh, see... That, like their own self-worth, I guess, when it comes to making arrangements like that, saying that, like, oh, I can't ask them to add, you know, add in an extra stipend for a sitter or something because I'm just starting off. I haven't deserved it yet. So how do you approach that? How do you know when you're, when you're kind of worth it? it is, it's like any discipline. So if I decide I want to learn to play the guitar and I know three chords, I don't get to go to the biggest venue in Arizona and say, I need to be paid whatever you would pay your headliners because that's what I'm worth. It's not what I'm worth yet. So initially, I tell my students, uh, and this is true for a small market, and it's certainly true when you go to a big market, you have to be prepared to not get any paid work for a season of your life. That doesn't mean you can't have another side job. You should. When we started the studio, we both had other day jobs. Um, and we had the studio was our was our passion and our dream, and we were working toward that. So th- for a season, it's completely appropriate to work for free, um, in in my opinion. Um, and you can feel free to contradict me. Yeah, let's go back to my doctor example. How much are you going to pay the doctor who's in med school <laughs> right. to do your surgery? You're not going to. So you you do have to pay your dues, and and you you but then you have to be smart about it. So you check off certain boxes. So once I've done, say, two or three independent horror films for free I don't need to do more of those right. but if I can do my best and grab little clips I have something for my reel to build on and then you, you start to just build a portfolio and it's something where where you earn it so so it's not there, there isn't like a line that you have to cross but but you'll know you'll mm-hmm. know like okay I've done that project before and I've got everything I need from it I already have my demo reel footage you want me I've done three of them mm-hmm. now 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 I'm worth a hundred dollars so the one addition I will make to this piece of advice um, in regards to working for free for a season of time is to be very careful with commercial work and stock photography in particular. It can sound very exciting to make a couple hundred dollars to work with a photographer friend and they'll say, hey, you'll get some pictures for your, for your portfolio and you'll get paid a little something. And in the beginning, that sounds great. It sounds like such a win-win. And those pictures, if you don't have a clear understanding of how they can be sold or distributed or used, you might find them on a billboard in a magazine being used on air advertisements. I mean, they can, they can really get out there and that's, that ends up being thousands and thousands and thousands over a lifetime that you should have been compensated sure. for and you won't be. So I'm not saying to never work with a photographer friend to take fun pictures. You just have to be clear in advance how they're going to be distributed, sold, and what your rights would be moving down the line. And talk about that before you get in front of the camera so you're not put in an uncomfortable position. It's definitely an important thing to know. Um, now, okay, so now that you guys have been establishing this for a few years and uh, you you are kind of beyond that point where you're <laughs> you're worrying about your self-worth, you're pretty confident <laughs> in where you're going and where you want to go from here. Um, let's talk about like what is the plan for you guys from this point. Well, we're really happy being working actors in Arizona right now. Mm-hmm. We we don't we don't need fame. It's, I, I preach it to my students too. Those people who have fame, sometimes they don't really even enjoy it. I've worked with some famous people before and mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a burden. So just to have, you know, we've got maybe 
eight ongoing clients that hire us and and we know that that we're going to get work coming in and and people know our work so we don't we don't even have to audition that much so we just we love producing our own our own work Mm -hmm. um we're we're taking some risks as we always like to do so we as leanne said we we love to to push the envelope and we're, we, we really are passionate about Arizona so we're reinvesting again in our studio mm-hmm. and the last time we did a build out I looked at it and said wow I would have never dreamt when we started in my mom's house that that we would in the room with the bunk bed yeah, <laughs> that we would have a space like this I, I was just amazed by it and and then we outgrew it we've been that we had been there for five years and or seven years in that space and yeah and and we didn't even outgrow it. We just we just outgrew the way that it was, and it needed it needed change. So we've we've really redone some things. It's going to be really awesome. And uh, just adding more spaces, or we we expanded the theater itself, so it's going to be more comfortable. It's going to be a nicer viewing experience for the audience. Uh, we have a real live sound booth, not a pretend one, <laughs> which we made do with for almost yeah. five years. Uh, a real beautiful sound booth, and we're and looking forward to being able to putting up, we're going to put up productions of a different scope. So we still want improv, we certainly want stand-up, we want open mic nights, we want our students to feel like the theater is theirs, um, and that they could also, you know, if you have a film you want to premiere that you made, go ahead and put it up. Yeah, that's the most exciting thing about the shift, is that we are separating the theater part of what we do from our school. Mm-hmm. So the theater is named Lighthouse Theater. And it's, it's its own entity, it's a nonprofit, and the, the vision, the idea is to be a light to this community, to break, to break some of the walls that have been built between different schools and different schools of thought and whatnot, and really just bring people in. So like Leanne said, we've, we've got stand-up shows already booked, mm-hmm. we have a band already booked, we have a spoken word poetry night already booked. Can you say what you're going to be directing this fall? <laughs> yes, I'm going to be directing a play starring Frank Caliendo and then two of our other students uh, here locally. And it's the play wow. called Doubt. It's a oh my goodness, Pulitzer, I didn't know he would, you would be Prize interested movie. in that. That's awesome. Wow. <laughs> well, Frank is Frank is a, now a longtime student of mine, so he's oh, he's two years in. And what's interesting is he came to me because he had a new show that was coming out on NBC, and he wanted to brush up on some things, and. I was like, well, wow, you're Frank, so tell me, like, why are you here? And he said, I don't know yet. Why don't you treat me like I'm a beginner student and we'll find out? And so I did. So I brought him way back to just memorization and the way you memorize and my my, uh, whole technique on chunk memorizing. And and he looked at it and said, I've never been taught like this before. I don't know these things. And he, because... He's such a successful person mm-hmm. and so driven, and I've grown so much working with him, but because that's who he is, he just got hungry for knowledge he didn't mm-hmm. know. So now he's on a quest, really, to become a dramatic film and TV actor and ha- and be able to make a similar transition that like someone like Robin Williams was able to make, sure. and uh, and we're getting to have a, we're, we have a chance of helping him do that. So that's excellent. I, I'm super excited to hear that somebody who I mean so, so established comedically is willing to take on something like doubt. Yeah. That's great. Uh, that's okay. Cool. So you guys are adding those renovations in, and I know that one of the first things that kind of piqued my interest about what you guys are doing was the idea that you're adding 
you know, E-classes into your, your whole uh, symposium there, so. Yeah, we know that Phoenix is, Phoenix is an interesting little market, and it's not unique. There are pockets like this all over the country, and there are people asking the same questions that we were asking 10 years ago, which is how can I, how can I be a working actor in a, in a strange little market like this? Um, and so we created an e-course speaking to ourselves 10 years ago <laughs> to answer all those questions that we have and to make sure that people are able to begin their acting careers safely, not getting scammed to know what their resources are and, and to know um, we get into some technique as well, uh, emotional trigger work and how do you actually build your technique on your own as well at home. So we get into that uh, in the videos. Yeah, and if you're in Nebraska, let's just say, how do you find the Deering Acting Studio that's in Nebraska and what do you search for on, on Google and how do you find a school like ours and yeah. not end up getting duped and being in one of the schools that are that are no good. So, so it's kind of like a, a list of like seminars and things that you guys work with that you know are going to be key points everybody should have going into it. Yeah, and we also get into some very practical advice. For example, how do I score a script? When a director puts a script in my hand, what should my script look like? And of course, there's you know there's room for variation as well. But here's some here's some tried and true ways that you can score your script. Here's some help uh, choosing a monologue, and here's some ways that you can score your monologue and, and perform that. Here's how you can expect to behave in auditions, and what you can expect from a casting director. So we, we really tried to cover all of the things again that we wished we knew when we began working in our small market. Yeah, it sounds like a one of the running themes of what you're saying is what to expect, what to expect. Mm -hmm. I think that just makes a huge difference when when somebody is is wanting to take this step and. They just mm -hmm. don't know where to even begin. You know, what what is scoring a script? What like what is a monologue? Right. One of the things that like when I teach acting classes for people beginning and that they have never heard that term before sometimes. Yeah. What is monologue? So yeah. yeah. There's some even funny little things like yeah. how if you're doing a two-person improvisation in the audition room as opposed to one, mm -hmm. you never can imagine how close you should be standing to the person right. you're talking to in different <laughs> framings because sure. it feels so uncomfortable. So just little very practical things like that. We go over all of that. So there is, mm -hmm. I mean, there are lessons in the video as well. Excellent. Yeah. And so when is that going to start rolling out? How, how can people kind of consume that? We should, I, I'm expecting to be launched by end of September. We'll have that fully, fully out and released mm -hmm. and uh, that's my expectation because yeah. we're, we're on the very tail end of it now. So it could be we're sooner close. than that, but we're, we're already done. We, we had an awesome videographer, his name's Rob Reed, and he came in and, and just, he, just the best quality video. It's mm -hmm. so good, and their editing style is really awesome, and it, it, it fit us really well. So Yeah, the Reed Effect is spectacular. Yeah. They're a local production company, yeah. and they do awesome work. So we're, we're extremely excited about that, and excited about how many people we're, we'll be able to reach outside of of the market yeah. that we're currently in. And, you know, Leanne and I, we've we've etched out a, a nice little life for ourselves and we've etched out a way to be successful here in Arizona and and we're just a testament to that you can do it, mm -hmm. that, that anybody can do it no matter where you are and you just have to have the grit and you have to have the determination and the failure's never an option attitude and, and you can do it. And so we, we just used some of our trials and tribulations and kind of successes and said, hey, Here's what, to, here's what you can do, and, and you, you can do it too. And if, if you're interested in the e-course, check on the Deering Studio website, and there'll be more information, as Matthew said, coming this fall. It's just DeeringStudio.com. Right. Well, speaking on that, um, a couple of things I like to ask at the end of every interview then. Uh, first off, probably hard to narrow it down, but what, what are some other artists, really of any discipline, it doesn't have to be actors, doesn't have to be filmmakers, any artists in town that you would want to give some recognition to? 
So now we get to be fans. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to start off here with, with a couple of actors that we're working with um, that I'm super proud of. Mm-hmm. Their names are Richard and Cindy Lippert. And they started with us. I, I don't know if I should mention their age. Why not? They don't care. <laughs> they don't They own it. They started Cindy wears it, it on a t-shirt. Yeah, they, <laughs> they started in their late 60s. So, um, and, and, and they came in and were like, oh, this would be like a fun hobby type thing. Since then, they've become our number two client at the studio. They are there. And you actually wouldn't recognize Cindy anymore. She used to hide behind a thick sheet of dark hair. And now she's got like a short, sassy, silver haircut. She owns it. She's a busy Ford Robert Black actress. I mean, she is like, (laughs) she's a powerhouse. They both are. And Cindy's starring in The Play with Frank as Sister Aloysius. And, and she told me, she looked me in the eyes two years ago and said, Matt, I had some sort of a brain thing happen when I was in my 40s, and I'm not capable of memorizing. And I looked her back in the eyes and I said, okay, yes, yes you are. <laughs> we'll see. And we're going to take it one step at a time. And we started with commercials, and now she's working on the lead role mm-hmm. in a major play at our place, and, and her confidence is mm-hmm. through the roof. So the two of them... They're actually on their way up to L.A. right now wow. to see the Richard's uh, premiere of The Covenant mm. that he shot here locally. And he's been in, so I'm going to list off some of his movies. <laughs> the Covenant, Stasis, Expo, Rhea, Genesis. He was on the Discovery Channel, commercial for American Express. He's, like, a, he's a rock star. He's a big, a, big rock star, and that's what you need to know. Just popping up. But the difference between Richard and Cindy and everyone else is they, they had the... They had the maturity to come in and say, I love this, so I'm going to be disciplined in doing this. Mm-hmm. And they just work harder. They weren't the most talented walking in the door. They had, they had a lot of challenges and still do, but they push and they work their butts off. And, and that's someone that I really want to praise. Uh, another great artist mm-hmm. that came from Arizona that a lot of people don't, maybe not know, his name is Josh McDermott. He was a student of ours way back in the day. He's on The Walking Dead now, uh, recurring role, very cool. Yeah. Eugene, um, right, is his character? Yeah, Eugene, the, the doctor yeah. with the long hair. Yes. <laughs> the <laughs> mullet, isn't it a mullet? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. Anybody else that come to mind right off the top of your head? Or? Um, I'm very proud. Two of our students, Chappelle Lacey and Chase Christie, are blowing up the stand-up scene right now. They are just dominating. We got to see Chappelle headline. Was it the Tempe? Was it the Improv? Or was it Stand Up Live? I can't remember. Uh, the Improv. We got to see him headline at the Improv. He, he sold out the house, yeah. and Chase opened for him. And what they were just hysterical. These boys have gotten so, so good. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And Chappelle's a testament to what we do in the improv program and the, and the script program and how we implement listening in, where his stand-up has been revolutionized mm-hmm. because of his acting work. And Chase will tell you the same thing, just like, because Chase doesn't have much stand-up experience, but he's, everyone's wondering, like, how are you so good? You just started. And he's like, well... I'm an actor first, yeah. and it, it makes a lot of sense because really you're just delivering a monologue, mm-hmm. and and you just one you wrote, you mm-hmm. know that's all it is. So that's excellent. Wow, yeah. definitely keep an eye out for them, keep an eye out for Richard and Cindy Lippert. That that's a true testament to the idea that it's never too late. And mm-hmm. I mean, I know that's such an old cliche, and everyone can say it, but then when you hear something like that, those success stories, it's always awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, great. I mean, anybody else that come to mind right now? Well, I might as well shout out for a few kids. And I don't know if any kids or parents oh, listen yeah. to your podcast, but just... we had some kids book a really cool uh, commercial for milk recently. Oh. Yeah. So I'll just say Gavin Wilson and Bryce Briggs and Quentin Marietta. We're very proud of those boys. And Rachel Taggett as well. well. She's, not a kid. she's 
she's not a kid, but, but she is one of our students yeah. and booked it. Yeah. yeah, it's nice when a commercial comes into town and then like 90% of the talent comes from our studio. So <laughs> we're always... We're always happy about that. That's impressive. That's awesome. Yeah, no, shout out to, like, there are so many opportunities for kids out there, too. you got to be keeping an eye out for it if you're wanting to do it. That's great. Anybody else? Uh, no, I think that's good for now. Good. Well, too many. Too, too many. many. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. <laughs> um, all right, so any personal projects you want to plug, websites, anything? Yeah. Well, I have to mention Leanne's doing a sketch show right now, and it's unbelievable. It's called Leanne and Michelle Think They're Funny. <laughs> <and> <laughs> Um, we really reached deep for that. <laughs> you know, Leanne's, Leanne's a trained improviser and actress for a long time, and her friend Michelle is a, is a student and and an improviser as well. <laughs> and they met and just they have this just really cool chemistry. It's like TJ and Dave. They just they just get each other. And when I first saw them together, I said, Leanne, you're onto something. You really got to follow through with this. Mm-hmm. And they have in a big way. And so they they release sketches. Um, almost once every week, once every month, you know, just depending. But their last one went super viral. So they had like 3 million views in three days, something crazy like that. And Facebook, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the New York Times interviewed them. They have an article out already. USA and, Today. Yeah. Yeah. And where do we find that? Is there a homepage for it? Or? That content? I mean, we're Leanne and Michelle on mm-hmm. Facebook and on Instagram, on, on most of the social outlets. We're just Le- we're Leanne and Michelle. So you can see the videos there. We have a YouTube channel as well. Um, and we just released another video this morning, actually, a sketch. Um, and we have another music video coming that we're in pre-production for. <laughs> we're just having wow. a ton of fun with yeah. it. And we have a show at our newly remodeled theater October 7th, if anyone wants to come see our two-woman improv set. So that'll be all improv. That won't be scripted or sketch. That's all improv. Yep. Excellent. Awesome. All right. Any other projects around the corner? Uh, well, we just mentioned Lighthouse already, so we're really excited about that. Mm-hmm. And what I have a probably going to be doing a podcast with Frank Caliendo and John Holmberg actually coming mm-hmm. up pretty soon. So Excellent. we're that's something that's in the works that we're really excited about. Mm-hmm. Well, that's competition, so that probably won't make the cut. But uh, that's great to hear. Good for me. <laughs> that's that's really cool too. So is there going to be a theme to it? Are you guys just going to be talking, you know, about general topics or? Uh, that's confidential. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> Your competition. <laughs> okay. Turned around on me pretty quick. <laughs> awesome. Anything else on the corner, guys? I know you mentioned the E-Class is going to be rolling out soon. Deering Studio. Is it just DeeringStudio.com? Yeah, DeeringStudio.com. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so keep an eye on that. And you got, I know you can see it on Facebook as well. Any Anything else? No, that's it. I mean, our only advice to any actors that are out there is yes. d- don't give up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you want it, there is absolutely a way. I know that sounds like a fortune cookie, but it's it's been the truth. We've experienced it firsthand. Gotcha. And what about anybody who would be interested in maybe just kind of following the same path you guys did, somebody who would want to be a teaching artist, somebody who's maybe done this for a little bit and wants to find another path? I would say probably look for a doctor who will let you teach out of his <laughs> office at call, night. Call me. Call, call me. I have yeah. a teaching program, and people who have the heart for it, mm-hmm. I am all about helping people not have to take... Mm-hmm. The 10 years it's taken us to sort of figure it out. Totally. Right? I, I want people to be successful. I want people to go out and do some great things. And um, so I would, if, if there's a teacher out there, pick up the phone, go to our website, call me. I'd be happy to sit down and talk to you. So find those practical steps. Don't be afraid to help somebody else out and uh, don't give up. I love it. All right. Well, Matthew, Leanne, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> 
special thanks to Nick Machete for writing our theme music and Taylor Machete for all of her support. If you are enjoying the podcast so far, don't forget to follow us and leave nice ratings on Facebook, Twitter, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Pinecast.co. And if you or someone you know is pursuing something artistic in the Phoenix area and you'd like to be on the podcast, write to me at starvingartistsphx at gmail.com.